Well, good morning, Union Chapel. It is good to be with you this morning. Thanks for worshiping together with us in person and all of you who are tuning in online. My name is Christopher Glossback. I get to serve as one of the 180 pastors here, our 7th through 12th grade ministry, and I'm back for another week, and so I'm excited. You don't have to do that, okay? Okay. (laughs) Don't make me feel too good about myself. It's, It's all right. It's all good, but I appreciate it, all right? Uh, And even though I say that I don't want that, you can keep doing that, okay? I'm just going to be real honest with you. (laughs) Real honest with you. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, I appreciate that. Well, we are continuing another week in our sermon series entitled Real Relationships Are. Last week, I had the opportunity to talk about real relationships are Christ-centered. You know that we all need relationships, we all have relationships, and we get to choose our relationships. Uh, this week, we're going to be continuing with that series talking about real relationships are mission-minded. That's the title of, of this morning's message, and, and I just want to share a little bit, just be vulnerable a little bit with you, is that if, if you read through Scripture and you start to identify what your gift mix is, the ways in which God has gifted you, the spiritual gifts that you may have, For me, maybe the number one thing for me is evangelism. I love telling people about Jesus. And so when we start thinking about mission, when we start thinking about telling other people about Jesus, I get excited. But I know that there are many people in this room that are like, oh my gosh, what is going on? I do not want to hear another message making me feel guilty about not sharing my faith enough or not doing enough. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit, but that isn't what this message this morning is going to be about. And so I had a mentor of mine that always would say, shame off you, okay? This is not to shame you or to make you feel guilty about what you're doing or not doing. This is not what this is about this morning, but more so about what the heart of Jesus is. And, and I love uh, the, the ability to be able to share Jesus with people. I know that that is unique and not everybody has that gifting or the excitement that I do about telling people about Jesus. But when I graduated from Ball State University, I went on staff with the campus ministry there, became a missionary, and that's what I felt like the Lord asked me to do. And so I just felt like the Lord was asking me, go and tell Jesus to anyone and everyone you could talk to and anyone and everyone that you could meet. And for five and a half years, I was on staff there, and I would share with the leadership and the pastors of that church, hey, one day I want to plant a church. One day I want to be sent out and, and do this on another campus and, and be the guy. You know, that that's what I want to do. And, and over and over again, they would say, yeah, yeah, we really see that in you, and they would affirm that. But it just felt like after a few years, I was just hitting a brick wall. And I would continue talking with them, and they would keep saying, oh, yeah, we see it. Just keep doing what you're doing, and you'll one day be raised up. And my wife says that all my sermon illustrations where we talk is at our kitchen table. We talk more than just at dinner, okay? Um, So don't hear this. But we just happened to be at our dinner table talking. And I just said, hey, Brittany, I I really don't see myself continuing to be here in in this ministry. I think that we should start praying about what would be next for us. And so we began to pray and think through what that would look like and I just got on the internet on on Google and and I just typed in ministry jobs near me just to see what was out there. And it just so happened that Union Chapel was looking for a youth pastor. And to be honest with you guys, I didn't know much about Union Chapel. I didn't know what was going on over here. I was in my silo on campus at Ball State. They were over here on Broadway. You know, we just didn't cross paths very often. And I came in for an interview And I sat down and Pastor Greg and Candace Ford, our executive director, and Robin Wood were in this interview. 
And they began to share and cast vision about what 180 was about and what the heart of Union Chapel was all about, to just help unconnected people be connected to Jesus. And then they looked me in the eye, and they just started to affirm me in the ways in which I had never been affirmed before in the calling that God had on my life. And they looked at me and they said, Christopher, if you will just consider Union Chapel, we will give you opportunity to be able to tell Jesus with everyone and anyone that you could meet, and we'll train and equip you to do that. And I just remember being in that interview, just to be vulnerable with you, I don't cry a lot, but I just began to weep. And let me share with you that, that my heart is to tell people about Jesus, but Union Chapel's heart is to tell people about Jesus. And not only that, but they want to help equip you and to send you and give you opportunity to be able to be on mission with Jesus. They want to give you opportunity to do that. We just heard Pastor Glenn get up here and share a little bit about our 99th network. Our 99 network is put in place so that people have opportunity to share Jesus with unreached people. And so this morning, I just want to ask you the question to springboard us into the message this morning. This question is, what would change? What would change in your life, in my life, in our life, in the life of Union Chapel, if we really believed that we were on mission together? What would change? What would change about this place? What would change about Muncie and Indiana and the United States of America, if we really believed that Jesus was beckoning us to be on mission with him. And so not only is that my heart and Union Chapel's heart, but I really believe that it's the heart of Jesus, the heart of God. And our text for this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll be in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. It'll be our reading for this morning, and it's our custom here at Union Chapel to stand, and so I want to invite you to do that as you are able. But in Matthew 9, 35 through 38, this is what the Word of God says. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And listen to this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. May the Lord encourage us and inspire us through the hearing of his word. You may be seated. And so my first point for this morning is that there is a mission. This is a timeless truth that Jesus says 2,000 years ago, and it rings true today that the harvest, that the people that need to hear about God is plentiful. And the second thing that he says, I think, is, is even more sad, is even more problematic, I believe. Jesus goes on to say another timeless truth, that the workers are few. There's always an abundance of people who need to hear about Jesus and hear about what God is doing, but there aren't enough people to, to go and do it. And so again, this isn't to make you feel bad about not sharing your faith. This isn't to make you feel bad or to make you feel shame about not going out and doing something about this because I don't think that that was even the heart of Jesus. Jesus is, I'm, I'm just imagining him walking up a hill and turning around to look at the thousands of people that were following him. And his heart just broke. He just looked at the people and they're like, man, you are, you're just so lost. You're so broken and you don't even understand it. And he looks to his disciples, and he doesn't tell his disciples. Listen to what he doesn't say to his disciples. Go and do something about this. Go and feed them. Go and proclaim the good news to them. 
Jesus doesn't say any of that. His heart breaks. He has compassion on the people because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then this is what he says. It's very interesting. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Engage with the God who has created these people, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And he's, so he's not communicating, go and do something about this. The thing that he's communicating is to sit down and pray, to start asking God, God, what do we do about this? What do we do about the people around me who are lost and broken, who are harassed and helpless? What do we do about that? And God just says, hey, why don't you just start by praying about it? Start engaging with the Lord about what is going on. But I want to advise you, as someone who has prayed often about the harvest and the workers, that when you begin to pray about it, just be careful. Because the Lord might be challenging you to do something about it. But maybe not, I don't know. But my challenge for us this morning is to lean in and say yes to whatever Jesus is stirring inside of you. So just start to engage with that. Over the course of the last few months, Pastor Greg has been communicating about this research study by Barna Research Study Group. They're a group of individuals who go in and survey churches and the climate of our culture here in America. And in 2021, uh, they did a, a very lengthy study just to kind of make us aware of the climate of Christianity in our culture today. And uh, they looked at research that was done in 1991 and compared it 30 years later to 2021, and this is what they found. That in 1991, 86% of people in the U.S., adults in the U.S., held a biblical view of God. But now in 2021, and I'm sure it's gone down a little bit since then, in 2021, just 46% of people held to a biblical view of God. Belief in the Bible as the accurate word of God fell from 70% in 1991 to 41% in 2021. And the percentage of Americans who believed that Jesus, trusting in Jesus, was the only way to get into heaven, and if they received Jesus as their personal savior, they could get into heaven, it went down to 30% in 2021. And so I just want to encourage you for a second that here at Union Chapel, we hold a biblical worldview. Pastor Gray, I, I so much appreciate the ways in which he, he talks about Jesus, and it's uh, through the word of God. We believe that this is inspired by God and that it's infallible. But we also believe that Jesus, in John 14, 6, when he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father, no one gets to Go into heaven except through Jesus. We believe that to be true here at Union Chapel. But I just want to share these numbers with you because there's a mission. There are people in this county, in this city, that don't know Jesus. I was able to do the statistics. If, if these stats by Barna Research Study Group are true and accurate across America, they're probably pretty similar here in Muncie and Delaware County, there are 115,000 people in our county, here in Delaware County. So if these statistics are true, roughly 53,000 people do not know God, do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. So there's a mission. There are people 
that need to know about God, who don't know about God. America is one of the fastest growing places for missionaries to be sent. Here, in our backyard. And so there's a mission. And I know that I'm sharing all this And again, I hope that the second point gives you some peace and maybe some comfort. That we aren't called to be fruitful. We aren't called by God to go into our workplace or go into our school or go into our neighborhood and come out with 15 people who have prayed to receive Jesus. That isn't the goal. But our goal is to be faithful. Not to be fruitful, but faithful. Nowhere in Scripture... You can read cover to cover. Nowhere in scripture does it say that you need to go and win others for Jesus. And there's a threshold. Like there's a box that you check. Like if you've gotten 15 people behind you, you're good to go. You can retire. You can rest easy. This is good. But we are called to be faithful. Why? Because it isn't up to you. It isn't up to us. We don't get to decide who receives Jesus and who doesn't. The person that you're sharing that does. God doesn't force himself onto anyone, but he gives us all the invitation and the opportunity to do that. In Mark chapter four, three through eight, Jesus talks to his disciples. He's he's sharing the same truth with his followers. And he says this, listen, a farmer, and I just want you to visualize yourself as the farmer. It'll be easier for some and harder for others, okay, here at Union Chapel. But you just visualize yourself as a farmer. And a farmer went out to sow his seed. And the seed is just the good news. And let me just give you a quick definition. The good news is what Jesus Christ has done for you, in you, and through you. That's the good news, the gospel, translated as the good news. So a farmer went out to, to, to share Jesus with people, to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the paths, and the bird came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times more. And so Jesus is just so interesting to me. He's with his disciples, and he's conjuring up this big plan on how he's going to share what God has done in and through the lives of these people. And notice what he doesn't say. Hey guys, we we have to start doing this research and try to be the most strategic about how we're sharing the gospel with people. So let's go to this demographic of people. Or hey, let's go to this region and share Jesus with them. No, he's just saying, hey, listen, be a little reckless with where and how you're sharing your story with people. Be a little reckless with who you're inviting into community with. He's saying, just be faithful. Just start throwing out the gospel everywhere that you go. And some will fall on the path, some will fall in the rocks, but you just keep throwing out the seed. And we don't get to decide or determine where it goes. He's not saying, hey, go cultivate and till up the soil and then just put all the seed there. He's saying, just go and do it everywhere. Everywhere you go, 
you're doing this. You're sharing the gospel. Because again, it isn't up to you. It isn't up to us. I know for me, when I went on campus and started as a missionary at Ball State, twice a week, they would make me go out, and I I did enjoy it a little bit, but for four hours, every Tuesday and Thursday, I would go out on campus for four hours, eight hours a week, and just go up to people and tell them about Jesus. And after the first couple times of just going up to people and saying, hey, do you have a moment to talk about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and getting rejected multiple times, I had to come up with a new plan. I had to conjure up something uh, to get into a conversation with people. And so I started doing card tricks. And if anybody knows who I am, that I've probably shown you a card trick or you've heard about them, it's not impressive. I was over at kids preaching there a few weeks ago. Uh, kids were booing me off stage. So don't, don't have in your mind like this really amazing thing. It's mediocre at best. But I would do card tricks and I would go up to people, strangers, people that I didn't know, and I'd ask them if they wanted to see a card trick. And for whatever reason, the majority of people, like 98% of people would be like, yeah, show me something, show me what you got. And so I would start doing card tricks, but then I would also be getting to know them. Hey, what's your name? What are you studying here at Ball State? Where are you from? Tell me a little bit about yourself. And we would talk for about five, 10 minutes as I'm showing them card tricks. And then at the end, after we had built up some rapport and they knew that I wasn't like that weird, they probably knew that I was a little weird, but like not super weird, you know? And I would just ask him, hey, I'm just going around campus today and I'm just having conversation about God. What do you think about God? And what a great way to engage in a conversation with someone because here in the Midwest, in Muncie, Indiana, at Ball State University even, everyone has an opinion about God. They've been impacted in a positive or negative way about God. They probably are, they know someone that knows Jesus or they grew up in church. So everybody has their thoughts about Jesus, about God, about Christianity. And so then we just had a conversation. I listened more than I spoke. And then after I heard about them and their story and and the thoughts that they had about God and Jesus, I just gave them an opportunity. I just said, hey, I would just love to share my thoughts about Jesus. And I would just unpack, and I'll share this here in a little bit, but just real quick, just shared with them the, the, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, in a really tangible, easy way to understand. And then I gave them an invitation. Hey, is this something that you want to engage more with? Do you want to read more scripture? Do you have any other questions about this? Do you want to give your life to Jesus? It's just a simple invitation. And if they said no, no hard feelings, I went on to the next person. And it was interesting because I would do that and I would get better at it. And I would be able to ask better questions. I would be able to to listen more and be just better at sharing the gospel. And it was very interesting that the moments that I really felt like, man, I knocked that out of the park. Like I was able to to listen well and I was able to to reference something that happened in their childhood that was really troubling for them. And I was able to say, man, Jesus went through the same thing. He was despised and rejected by some of his closest friends. He was betrayed by one of his own disciples. And, and man, I, I, share, I share that with them and, and I think that it's going well. And then at the end, I'm like, hey, do you feel like this is something that you wanna give your life to? Or do you wanna read more scripture together? Like we could just start hanging out and they'd be like, no, you're an idiot. Like this is the dumbest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Like why would I waste my time with God? 
I'd be like, what the heck? And then there would be other times where I would feel like I'm an idiot. I'm, I'm stumbling and bumbling over my words as I'm trying to unpack the gospel and I'm misquoting scripture and I'm, I'm just really nervous and I'm acting really weird and I'm like, what is going on? And then I look at them and I'm like, you know, I'm just trying to be faithful. Hey, do you want to read more scripture together? Or do you want to give your life to the Lord? Or do you have any questions for me? And man, it just felt like the spirit came alive in that moment. They're like, man, this is what I want to give my life to. I want to live for Jesus. And it's interesting because it isn't up to me. It's up to them and whether they're going to receive it. And so as we think about this mission, this mission to reach the world for Jesus' sake, I hope that you don't feel any undue pressure or stress because it isn't up to you. We're not called to, to win a certain amount of people, but we are called to be faithful, to engage with what God is doing. My third point is this, that we're not called to just proclaim the good news, to share about what Jesus is doing in and through our lives, but we're called to become the good news, to literally embody Jesus and the ways in which he lived. And there should be something different about the ways that you're living your life and the people that we're on mission for. And Jesus was, was sharing with his disciples about the same truth. And I love what, what he shares. And in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, in a Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus was teaching his disciples. He says this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, who was probably there at the Sermon on the Mount listening and gleaning from Jesus, he said something very, very similar. You know, Peter, the man who rejected Jesus, said, I don't even know who he is and was reinstated by the Lord after multiple failure. He says this, dear friends, I urge you in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, Peter like stepped it up to the next notch over Jesus. Jesus was just saying, hey, you're a light and a dark place. Peter goes a, a step further and he's saying, you know what? You are foreigners and exiles. You do not even belong here on earth. You're on a mission. He says, abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, the world, the, our culture. Live such good lives here on earth among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Peter is communicating, hey, there should be something different about the ways in which you're living your life. And so my challenge, you're, you're probably sitting here and you're saying, Christopher, what does this have to do with real relationships? I thought this was a relationship series. Well, here's the challenge. Here's the relationship bent. I want to encourage you to leverage your relationships. Leverage who you are in the ways that God has gifted you. You might be here in the room and, and your son or daughter goes to preschool or daycare or they're in a sporting event. There is no other person that has the same life as you, that you are unique, and God has given you opportunity and placed you in community to leverage that unique gift mix 
where you're at, the neighborhood that you live in, the neighbors that you have. No other person is like you in that. And so we get the opportunity to sit down with our family or the people that we're in community with and just ask them, hey, what would change about our dynamic in our marriage, in my parenting style, in the ways that I just do life with you? What would change if I really understood that I was on mission together with you and that we weren't alone, that there were thousands of people within our church that understood that there was a mission that there are 53,000 people here in our county that do not know Jesus, who need to be engaged with the gospel of Christ. What would change? What would change about that? And so my encouragement is just to leverage your relationships with people. I, I, I love the gospel, and I'm just gonna share it really quickly with you here in a, just a couple minutes of what God has done in and through our lives. I talked last week about God creating everything that we see. And in six days, he created all that we know. He created everything. On the sixth day, he created man. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. And the beautiful thing about his creation is he looked at us and he said, man, I'm so proud of this. This is so good, it's so beautiful. And we had perfect relationship with God. The scriptures say that Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the cool of the day. There was nothing that separated Adam and Eve from God. And I don't know why God did this. I'm glad that I'm not God because I would not, I don't know if I would have done this, okay? But I'm not gonna question God. But what he did in his ultimate love, he didn't want people just to be robots and just, I receive Jesus and that's it. No, he says, hey, listen, I'm gonna give you opportunity if you don't wanna be here, if you don't wanna participate in what we're doing here in this perfection, you can eat of this tree in the middle of the garden. You can eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when you do that, you're communicating to me that you want something better for your life. And so it was going well for a while. Adam and Eve weren't doing that. They weren't eating of this tree. They were just living in harmony with God. And then one day, we talked about this a few months ago, that the serpent, the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he came and he presented himself to Adam and Eve. And he didn't hit Eve over the head with a stick. He hit her with an idea. God doesn't want what's best for you. He doesn't really want you to be good and enjoy life. So live a little, like go and eat the fruit of the tree. And the scriptures say that when Eve's eyes saw the fruit and saw that it was pleasing, and it would benefit her. She grabbed it, she ate it, and she gave it to Adam, and Adam did the same. And because of that, because Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God kicks them out of perfect unity. Sin has now entered the world. And we see it rampant everywhere that we go. It isn't hard to see that there's sin. You turn on the news and there's evil, pervasiveness all throughout our world. And because God is a perfect and loving God, he can't be around sin. And so there was this disconnect for a long time between God and people. And if you wanna learn more about the gospel, I would encourage you to read Romans. It's just beautiful and it just, Paul does a great job unpacking what the gospel is. But in Romans 3.23, he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person in this room, me, Pastor Greg, everyone on staff, anyone that you know has sinned and fallen short of the expectation that God has for their life. 
And because of our sin, he goes on to say in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin, the payment of sin is death, separation from God for eternity. Because a perfect God can't be with imperfect people. They can't coexist. But Paul goes on to say in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love in this that while we were still sinners, while we were far from God, while we were ignorant of God, he came and he died for us. And so again, I'm not God, I don't know why he's decided to do this, but maybe the most quoted scripture of all time is John 3, 16, and it says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, death, but have eternal life. And so God made a way for us to be back in covenant and community with God. And so Jesus came and he paid the penalty of our sin. And so no longer does God look at us as sinful people, but if we receive Jesus, God looks at us through the lens of his son, Jesus, and he sees perfection. And so now we can commune with God. And my favorite question to ask people as I'm sharing the gospel with them is when does an invitation, when does a gift become yours? And the answer is when you receive it. And scripture goes on to say, for as many as received this gift, to those who believe on his name, he, be, he gave the right to become children of God. This isn't anything that we can earn, it's just a gift that we receive. And so reach out and receive it. How do we receive this gift? If we confess with our mouth, Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. And so then I would give the opportunity. Is this something that you want to learn more about? Do you want to ask any questions about this? And we would start conversation. Well, maybe you're looking at me and you're like, Christopher, I can't articulate that well. I can't do that. I don't have a master's in the New Testament. I don't have a theological degree. I've only been a Christian for a few months. I don't know what to do. Well, my friends, there's hope. And I would say that there's even more hope for you than me. What I tell our 180 students often is they have so much more opportunity than me. There are schools that I've called to try to get into that won't let me in because I'm a pastor. But you know who they're letting in? Students every single day who come to 180. And so they have an awesome opportunity to be able just to do this. And I love what Revelation 12, 11 says, and we don't read it a lot in the church because it's weird, okay? And not a lot of people understand it. But in Revelation 12, 11, it says this, they, the people of God, us here at Union Chapel, they triumphed over him, who? The enemy, the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. They overcame the enemy by what? By the blood of the lamb, the death of Jesus Christ, and his resurrection and defeat over death and by the word of each other's testimony. And so what John is communicating here to the people of God, to us here at Union Chapel, is if you cannot proclaim Jesus through the lens of scripture, then proclaim Jesus through your life. I know for a fact that God is at work in your life. And so John is saying, hey, listen, we have life in Jesus, and so share it, but then also say what Jesus has done in your life the ways that he's brought you from death to life, the thing that he's doing right now in your life where he made a way and you thought there would be no way. And Jesus is saying, tell your story. Your story matters. Your pain is not wasted. Your opportunity that you're in is not forever. So share your story. 
And man, I, I just really believe that when we begin to open up and be vulnerable about our story, people start to realize who God is in a real and authentic way. Because we can detach ourselves from scripture at times. Oh yeah, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Yep. But man, when you said, man, this is the way that I was going and Jesus did a new thing in me and the fruit of that and my kids are changed because of it. And now there are other people in my life that are being affected by this. It becomes alive. One of my mentors, his name was Jody Parker, and he pastors a church down in southern Indiana. My parents attend, and I attended growing up, just a small country church, just a hundred people or so. And he was frustrated because he had to work bivocationally in ministry. He was a pastor, but he was also an electrician. And he and I were on the phone a couple days ago rehearsing this story, and I was asking him about it. And he told me that he would be driving into work. He worked in downtown Louisville. He, he lived just across the river in Indiana. And he'd be so frustrated with God. God, why do I have to be bivocational? Why can't you just bring enough people into the church so I can do this full time? I'm, I'm just always exhausted from doing both things. And he said as he was driving over the Sherman Minton Bridge in, in Louisville, he just felt like God hit him upside the head and just said, stop it. What are you doing? You do not have good perspective about what you're doing right now. You are not an electrician. And Jody was like, no, 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 like I'm literally going into work right now. I'm going into the hospital to change 1,500 light bulbs today. I'm an electrician. And God was like, no, you're not. You are a missionary disguised as an electrician. And Jody started to change his perspective about the job that he hated that he was just working as a means to the end. And he started to realize that maybe God had placed him there at Norton's Hospital in Louisville, Kentucky to be able to be a light in the darkness, a city on a hill. And he had been hiding his light under a bowl. And so he began to believe that he was a missionary disguised as an electrician. And he began to have conversation with his coworkers. And he began to enjoy work and life. And there became purpose and meaning in what he was doing. And no more did he complain about going into work. He told me on the phone, he said, Christopher, I literally get paid to share Jesus with people at a secular place. I have probably more impact than you do because I'm working 40 hours a week in a hospital, talking to people who have just lost loved ones, who had terrible cancer prognosis, and I'm just an electrician, but I get to speak God into their life. I get to pray for people all the time. I get to be a light in the darkness. Man, what a change of perspective for Jody. And so my question this morning is what would change if we really believed that we were on mission together? I love being able to share with you guys, and I love to be able to preach because it convicts me. As I am preparing for messages, I'm trying to embody what it is and what it looks like. And just to be authentic with you and real and vulnerable with you, I haven't been able to love my neighbor, the one with the tall grass, very well yet. And so I've, I've pivoted to my neighbors behind our house. Because <laughs> I'm not there yet. I'm still working on it. And I, we were, my wife and I, we were Again, we were just at the kitchen table all the time. We were out at our fire pit behind our house and we were 
uh, having, we were just having conversation and I saw our neighbors behind our house. They were having a fire pit and they were having a fire around their fire pit. And so I walked over there and I started talking to them and I hadn't talked to them much and we were just talking about life and they have a trip coming up. And so we were just having a conversation and I just looked at them. And, and again, I was just, what would it look like for me to embody the good news? And I just said, hey, Brittany and I, we don't know you all too well. Can we take you out to dinner? Our treat. We'll take you out. What's your favorite place? And they told us. And so here in a couple days, we're going to get dinner with them and get to know them. And leading up to our, our dinner with Harriet and her husband, we're, we're, we're going to be able to engage with them. They're 84 years old. I, I'm sure that we do not have anything much in common. I asked them what they do for fun. They said, watch Jeopardy. And I said, Brittany and I do too. This is what we do. So maybe we might just be going to Jeopardy afterward, going to dinner at four and going over to Jeopardy later. It'll be a great time. But listen, God has placed Brittany and I in our community and given us neighbors to be able to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so I've been praying for Harriet every day since we had that conversation. God, give me opportunity. Help me to join you at work. And that is the good news that Jesus is already at work. He's already at work around you. And he's already at work in the lives of people around you. And so how do we just join God at the work that he's already doing? And so for my wife and I, we're just starting to pray for them. God, just open up avenues and opportunity for us to share Jesus with them. And so my challenge for you all and for me and for us at Union Chapel is what would change if we really believed that we were on mission, that it wasn't just Pastor Greg or Pastor Christopher or Glenn or Jeff or somebody on staff of the church or the pastor down the road from you to reach the world, to reach the 53,000 people who need Jesus. But what if we believed that we were on mission together, that you started leveraging your relationships and the places in which you find yourself daily for the gospel of Jesus and started just telling your story? telling the good news of what God has done in and through your life. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. Jesus, we're so thankful that you have entrusted us with your spirit and that you have equipped us with the ability to share Jesus with others. And Lord, I pray that we would understand that it is our responsibility as a community and the kingdom of God to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And Lord, I, I don't, again, I, I just pray that if there are any person in this room, people in this room that feel shame and guilt about not sharing the gospel enough, they've missed the point. Lord, I pray that they would just do what you're asking them to do. That we would ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Lord, I pray that we would engage with you at deeper levels, that we would come before you and just say, God, what can we do about this? And Lord, would you inspire us? Would you equip us? Would you send us? And so, Lord, I just pray for my friends here at Union Chapel as co-laborers in the harvest field that you would inspire us and equip us to deeper levels like never before. Lord, would you give us boldness? Would you fill us with your spirit to be able to respond well? Jesus, we need you. We cannot do this alone. Apart from you, we have no good thing. And so, Jesus, help us to submit our desires to you and lean into an eternal kingdom. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.